I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Luke chapter 19 this morning. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. This is the story of uh, Zacchaeus. And we're going to see what happens when Jesus engages uh, a tax collector. Uh, But before we read this text, let's, uh, as is our practice to do, let's pause and pray together and ask for the Lord to help us understand his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Son of Man came into the world to seek and save the lost. Some of us here today are lost. And so we pray that as your word is read and preached, that by the Holy Spirit working in the lives of people, that Jesus Christ might find and save and change people. And Lord, we pray that you would get glory for yourself through the ministry of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 19, beginning in verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, that is the crowd, They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I think it's important to note the sheer diversity of people that Jesus engages and saves in the Gospels. It helps us understand that whoever we are, whatever our story, whatever our baggage may be, that there is a Savior for you, a Savior for us. Take just a few examples today. You think of Nicodemus, the Pharisee, in John chapter 3, the religious man, the churchgoer. Jesus lovingly communicated to him that it wasn't, in fact, man-made religion or tradition that he so desperately needed. He needed something actually far more radical than that. He needed a new beginning. He needed a new start. He needed to be born from above, something that only God could do to him. Or think of the, the Canaanite woman 
who was in this day the, the epitome of a cultural outsider, someone no one in the land of Israel wanted anything to do with. Even Jesus' own disciples uh, wanted to get rid of her as soon as possible. But she had an extraordinary faith in the Lord Jesus, and Jesus recognized the fact that instead of being on the outside, through her trust in Jesus, she was an insider in God's family. And now here we are, another story in, in Luke chapter 19. It's not a religious man. It's not a Canaanite woman who is seeking Jesus for help. So this isn't, this isn't a man who's trying to be good for God or a woman uh, coming with trust in Jesus. This, this is a tax collector. We know a little bit about Zacchaeus, that he was a rich man and he was a bad man. Now, he wasn't a bad man because he was a tax collector. He was a bad man because he used his position as a tax collector to defraud people. He was a hireling of Rome, hired out by the Roman Empire to collect taxes for Rome among his own people. And so Zacchaeus would acquire what he needed to contribute to Rome, but of course Zacchaeus was also taking an extra to line his own pockets. And so, through thievery, Zacchaeus had become an incredibly wealthy man. He, though, was a crook, a cheat. And so here's the amazing thing about this story, is Jesus wanted this man. Jesus sought after this man. Jesus wanted to save and to change this man's life. And so you look at these stories, and one of the things that the Gospels are communicating to us is that there is no one outside of the reach of Jesus' grace. No one. So let's take a closer look today at the story here before us in Luke 19 to see how Jesus engages Zacchaeus. First of all, notice how this passage is put together. Uh, there are ten verses that we could neatly divide into two sections. Section 1, verses 1 through 5. Section 2, verses 6 through 10. And each of these two sections follow a similar pattern. After verses 1 and 2 with an introduction, you have uh, verse 3, the crowd. Verse 4, um, uh, Zacchaeus' response. Verse 5, Jesus' answer. And in section 2, you have the very same pattern. The crowd, Zacchaeus, Jesus' answer in verses 9 and 10. I think you can summarize both of these sections, each of them with one word. In verses 1 through 5, Zacchaeus is found. And in verses 6 through 10, Zacchaeus is changed. Found and changed. Found by Jesus, never to be the same again. You know, these, these two words, I think, are actually one of the shortest summaries of, of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, someone who was once lost but has been found by the Lord Jesus Christ and will never, ever be the same again. So let's look at these two sections, uh, beginning with the first, verses 1 through 5, where, where Zacchaeus is found. We see here in verse 3 that Zacchaeus the cheat had a, some sort of idle curiosity and in Jesus, he wanted to take a look at him for himself. 
Luke tells us he, he didn't know really who Jesus was, so he wanted to have a look. But we know this large crowd is gathering, uh, lining the streets of Jericho with the news of uh, Jesus passing through. And that presents Zacchaeus with a problem, which we know from our youth, because Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And uh, maybe with a little bit of imagination, here's how I picture it at least. You've got the crowds lining the streets and you've got this short little man who would like to punch his way through to get in the front row so that he can have a look for himself. But of course, he's trying to get through a line of people that he has cheated, that he has stolen from. So I, you, know, you can imagine the crowds closing in ranks as just one little way to get back at this man's injustice. So, what does Zacchaeus do? Well, he's determined to see Jesus. And so he runs down the road knowing where Jesus is headed, and he climbs up into a sycamore tree. And now he will see Jesus, perhaps, perhaps at the same time, uh, able to maintain anonymity. So it's, I think it's, it's hard to picture the, or it's not hard to picture the shock and the embarrassment of what occurred next. Jesus, remember the context here in Luke. This is an interesting thing to note. Luke has been emphasizing Jesus' march to Jerusalem. His face is dead set on going to Jerusalem. The crowds don't slow him down. He's on, he's on the march. We, we saw that he, he stopped before this for blind Bartimaeus. Now we find Jesus stopping again, suddenly on the road and looking up. And you can imagine the collective eyes of the crowd looking up and now seeing this tax collector dangling from the tree. I, I imagine that some of the Members of the crowd are now snickering at this man, enjoying how silly he looks up there, uh, hanging from a branch. But then Jesus speaks these words that no one would have expected to hear in verse 5. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus invites himself over. Uh, he invites himself to over to spend the night, and no doubt the any, that any snickering that was going on at that point gave way to a collective gasp. Jesus staying with a tax collector. God forbid, some may have said. I think you've got you've to appreciate the cultural context here. Of course, in that culture, opening up your home to someone, sharing, sharing your life with them, sharing table with them, it was seen as an act of identification and fellowship. So who you ate with said a great deal about who you associated with and the crowds that you ran in. Here is Jesus, though, completely ignoring those social expectations. Any, any respectable rabbi at this time would not have been caught dead in a tax collector's home. In fact, according to rabbinical tradition, not, not scriptural, uh, biblical tradition, but man-made tradition, nevertheless said that for you to even enter into the home of a tax collector rendered one ceremonially unclean. 
So what Jesus is doing here was nothing short of scandalous in the eyes of the crowd. But you see, Jesus is much less concerned about social expectations than he is for the man Zacchaeus. And he will gladly, gladly, willingly run roughshod over illegitimate cultural expectations and prejudices to find and rescue a sinner. And so you see, by, by inviting himself into Zacchaeus' home, Jesus is really breaking into Zacchaeus' life. And, and the crowd grumbled about it. Verse 7 tells us that. He's, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They, they took offense at what Jesus was doing. They understood that Jesus was doing more than trying to book some accommodations for the evening. Jesus was going to be with Zacchaeus. And please notice that when Jesus calls him down, did you catch this? That he called Zacchaeus by name. Jesus knew already who Zacchaeus was. It's fascinating, I think. Zacchaeus wanted to get a look at who Jesus was, and Jesus already knew who Zacchaeus was. You know, there are these occasions in the Gospels where Jesus takes certain actions, and the Gospels indicate that there was, um, there was a kind of divine compulsion driving him to that particular action. It was a matter of divine necessity. One example uh, is the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, verse 4, it says that he had to go through the land of Samaria. Well, from a human perspective, no, he didn't. Actually, the majority of people didn't go through the land of Samaria. They intentionally went around in order to avoid any contact with those filthy Samaritans. So why does John 4.4 say that Jesus had to go through Samaria? And I think the answer is he had to go through to keep a divine appointment. I think that there was a lost sheep at that well that his heavenly father was sending him as the great shepherd to find. And here we are again on this occasion. It's the same thing. Note the strong imperative. I, he doesn't say, I'd like to stay at your house. Would it, would it be okay for, for me to stay the evening? He says, I must stay at your house today. And again, we would say from a human perspective, uh, Jesus, no, you don't. Because there are plenty of respectable people within the greater Jericho area who would gladly and willingly open up their homes to you for the evening. But Jesus says he must stay with Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Why? Well, you see, because the necessity that Jesus was under was governed by something far, far more compelling than a lack of alternative accommodations. This is divine necessity. It's a divine appointment that Jesus was keeping with Zacchaeus. He passed through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem seeking Zacchaeus. You see, Zacchaeus thought he was 
The one curiously seeking Jesus when in fact by God's foreordained plan, he climbed into that tree so that Jesus might seek and find him. And you know, some of, some of you are perhaps here today with little more than an idle curiosity regarding Jesus. Your, yours, is a, yours is a, well, idle curiosity. You're interested in who Jesus is and you'd like to take a look at him and his teaching. Perhaps that's why some of you are here today. But, but maybe, maybe, whatever your reason may be for being here today... Maybe there's another bigger reason that you don't even know about. Maybe this is your Jericho road. Maybe this is the day when Jesus inserts himself into your life, into your home, into your heart and changes you forever. Maybe this is the day that he he calls you by name. You see, Zacchaeus was found by Jesus And perhaps you're being found by him too. Known and called by Jesus. Jesus is about the business of inserting himself into people's lives. Let's have a a look at the second section here in verses 6 through 10. In verses 1 through 5, Zacchaeus was found. Now in verses 6 through 10, Zacchaeus was gloriously changed. Uh, Jesus called Zacchaeus to hurry and come down. And so verse 6, he hurried and came down. I, I think maybe, maybe Luke is politely covering over some of the embarrassment of that moment. I don't know. What did it look like for a, a full-grown adult man not, addressed, uh, not dressed in attire to, uh, to be climbing trees, coming down in a hurried fashion from, from a branch? I know what it would look like if it was me. Um, but that aside... Something else has happened to Zacchaeus, hasn't it? When he hits the ground and starts engaging with Jesus, Luke describes this engagement as Zacchaeus receiving the Lord Jesus with joy. And Luke is actually describing the response of Zacchaeus in terms of language that he used earlier back in Luke chapter 10. It's important to, I think, make this connection. When when Jesus was sending out his disciples in Luke chapter 10 as missionaries into the towns and villages to proclaim the kingdom of God, and Luke 10 verses 8 and 9, he gave them this instruction. Listen, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick, say to them, the kingdom of God Has come near to you. So being received was the term Jesus used to describe the response of people to whom the kingdom of God had come near. That is exactly how Luke describes Zacchaeus' response to Jesus as he receives Jesus into his home with joy. But again, the crowd isn't happy about any of this, they grumbled. But notice, this is, this is a fascinating part of the story. Zacchaeus shows just how far the, the change goes when he's been found by Jesus. Just how, how deep the change goes. He says in front of them all in verse 8, yes, he's, he's speaking to the Lord, he's speaking to Jesus, 
But what he's saying, he's saying publicly in front of the the whole crowd. This is a public declaration. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, remember, this was a man who loved his money. Money was his idol. And in service to that idol, he was prepared to steal and cheat and defraud people. He, he prayed upon these very people, the people listening to him on this occasion. And so here's the great evidence, the clear, indisputable evidence that when Jesus breaks into your life, your life is changed. So notice two things about this change in Zacchaeus. First, he, he shows us that the idol of money no longer has a grip upon his heart. You see, instead of cheating and stealing and defrauding and abusing his power as a tax collector, uh, Zacchaeus commits to using the wealth that he has at his disposal for the good of others. Half of my possessions I'm going to give to the poor, he says. So Jesus finds you, you see, you, you find your true wealth in him. You discover that he is the pearl of great price. That he is the treasure of your life. And that sets you free to give sacrificially, to be sacrificial towards others. It, it turns this selfish, self-centered man into a generous and giving man. That's one of the ways the change was manifested. But the second thing you see is, is repentance. In verse 9, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, you know, this, this, is not, this is not an apology that is not really an apology. Right? Maybe, maybe you've heard an apology that went like this, or perhaps you spoke these words yourself. Well, I'm sorry if I made you feel that way. I, I, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry if you feel that I wronged you or made things difficult for you. Zacchaeus doesn't say to this crowd, uh, well, listen, I'm, I'm sorry if I stole from you. I'm sorry if I made your life more difficult. Because that's not really an apology at all. It's really a way of of saying that I don't think I've done anything wrong, but I can clearly see you're upset, so I'll say I'm sorry and then just expect you to move on. Now, what does Zacchaeus do? He he, he says, I have defrauded people. He doesn't mince words. He owns his guilt and wrongdoing and calls it what it is. And Anyone I've defrauded, no matter the amount, no matter the person, no matter the circumstances, when it happened, I will quadruple it, what I've taken, and return it to them. You see, he comes clean. He publicly confesses his public sin, and he commits to making restitution at his own expense. He promises to make it right. See, this is... You look at this, this is a radically changed man, isn't it? The the joy of being found by Jesus brings change, and that change is always manifested, first and always, in repentance. See, when Jesus inserts himself into our lives and, 
and we receive him with joy, the old life no longer rules. We are what Paul says, nothing short of a new creation created in Christ Jesus. That that person has passed from a state of spiritual death to to a new life altogether in Christ. And true repentance then is a mark of spiritual authenticity, of having been, have, having been brought from death to life. It is, it is an evidence that Jesus has come to dwell with you, that he has he's broken into your life for real. So let's be clear about this. You know, moral change is not the conditional basis on which Jesus will accept you. Uh, Zacchaeus did not clean himself up first. And then Jesus, compelled by the remarkable change of his character, said, oh, well, I better let him into the kingdom. That's not how it worked at all. Zacchaeus was a self-centered, self-serving lover of money. He did not change first before Jesus came looking for him. Jesus came looking for him and called him. Jesus inserted himself into his life And life change was the necessary fruit. And that's what Jesus will do in in anyone's heart if he calls you by name. I don't know if anyone has spoken to you in these terms, but it's actually a scary thing when Jesus calls you by name in the gospel because it means nothing is ever going to be the same again. No part of your life remains untouched by Jesus. No part of your life remains off limits from the lordship of Jesus. And he intends to come into your life. And when he does, get ready because it will bring change. Here's a man who once loved money, but now in service to Jesus, he's prepared to give it half away. No money. uh, Well, let me put it this way. Money no longer had a grip upon his heart because his Well, one person put it, Zacchaeus now knew the expulsive power of a new affection. He received Jesus with joy and he let his riches go. And so Jesus responds in the way I think that we should expect him based upon what he's hearing from Zacchaeus in verse 9. Today salvation has come to this house since he too is a son of Abraham, a, a man of faith. What is it that made him a son of Abraham, incidentally? Not his biology, but the condition of his heart. True son of Abraham is a man of faith. He's a changed man. And Jesus publicly confirms it. And so that takes us then to the crux of this passage. Please note that the crux of this passage is not Zacchaeus. The crux of this passage is the son of man, the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. You see, the, 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 um, the punchline of this text is not something about Zacchaeus. Luke is not trying to get us to fixate upon Zacchaeus. He's trying to get us to fix our eyes upon the Son of Man. You know, what does verse 10 tell us about the Son of Man? Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came into the world to seek and to save the lost. Now here's the neat thing. That verse brings us to the end of a section in Luke's gospel that started back in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. 
where Luke told us that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And since Luke 9.51 up to this point, periodically Luke has been reminding us Jesus has set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. And along the way, Jesus has been instructing his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem to be handed over, to suffer and to die, and on the third day be raised again from the dead. And you want to ask the question, why, Jesus? Why would you go to Jerusalem to suffer that fate? Answer, Luke 19, verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, Zacchaeus is just one illustration of why Jesus Christ came into the world. He's a trophy of grace. The crowds grumbled, though, wondering why Jesus would want anything to do with him. For, for them, you know, it's, it's the good people, the religious people, the socially respectable people who deserve Jesus' time and, and grace. But prostitutes and tax collectors... That's blasphemy. They have no place in the kingdom of God. Jesus has no business staying with someone like Zacchaeus. You can imagine folks saying that. But that isn't Jesus' perspective, is it? For Jesus, it's not the good who get his grace. It's those who know they are sick and in need of a physician. It's those who know that they have been stained by sin and it is a stain that they could never wipe away. It's those who are lost and have been brought to an awareness of their lostness. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I think in our spiritual lostness, we're sometimes like the husband driving around an unfamiliar city who has no idea where he is. And you know how this story goes. The wife pleads with you to stop and ask for some help and directions. But what do you do? You say, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm fine. I'll figure this out. We'll get back on track. I'll find the way. Maybe, let's, let's, let's bring this into the 21st century. Uh, maybe you even have Google Maps and maps on your iPhone. But you say, no, I don't need that. I don't. I refuse to use it because you're convinced you know where you're going. But you see, after a while of going around block after block and actually getting more lost, you eventually have to confess, you know what, yeah, I'm lost. I need, I need help. And it's not until then, you see, it's not until you admit your lostness that you begin to get unlost. It's not until you admit that you need help, till you... Face the facts that you are actually getting yourself more lost that you start to get the help that you need. And Luke is telling us here it's the lost that Jesus came to save. So, my friends, if you haven't done so in your life, it's time to admit your true condition. It's time to face the facts. It's time to stop trying to go it alone. Time to stop thinking you can make your own way because you're only getting yourself more lost. Do you understand that? When it comes to spiritual lostness, the more you try to find your own way, the more you get yourself lost. Stop trying to be your own savior. Just go to Jesus now. Because it's the lost that Jesus came into the world 
to save. Maybe, again, you came today with nothing more than a curiosity about Jesus. But I pray that today this is your Jericho. Maybe, maybe, he's, maybe he is through his word and spirit calling you by name today. Maybe today salvation will break into your home. You can say that will happen if you stop running and start repenting. If you stop working and start believing. Maybe today you'll receive Jesus with joy and everything will change. So consider the call of Christ given to lost sinners. It is a call, first of all, dear friends, to own up to our lostness. Recognizing that this is the reason Jesus came into the world. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let me just end with this as we come to the Lord's table in a moment. If this is something that you're really thinking about for yourself, then I, I urge you, don't, don't do that alone. There are people here who would love to talk to you. I would, I would love to talk to you about the claims of Christ. But whoever you are, I want you to know that there are people praying for you here that Jesus would break into your life, that he would call you by name, that he would expose you to your own lostness and present himself as the fully sufficient savior of lost sinners that he is. I pray that salvation would break into your house today and, and that repentance, true, not a, not a superficial, worldly, fleeting repentance, but that true, deep, lasting, real repentance would be the evidential mark that Jesus Christ has found you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for a, a seeking Savior, a Savior who seeks out the worst of us and calls us by name and changes us forever. And Lord, we pray, um, as I just said, that if there are any here who are spiritually lost, that you in your grace and your kindness and through the gospel of your Son would call them by name to yourself and that they would be gloriously changed and like Zacchaeus, be a trophy of your grace. And we pray these things in and through Christ. Amen.